All right, what's up? We're gonna get this thing rolling. We got a lot to talk about and a great panel today. So we're gonna talk about marketing digital music. And you know, that's a really buzzy phrase. There's a lot of buzzwords that, that go around, you know, gamify this or make that more social or make this more viral. And marketing digital music is kind of, is one of those things. And so what we wanna do in this panel is really distill that down to what that means and how you can act upon that and, and get a return on, on your, your time and investment uh, that you put into it. So first I wanna have the panel introduce themselves, just kinda go down, give a heads up on your name and uh, what you do. I'm Melissa Adair, Director of Artist Assets at Spinlit. I'm Lars Murray, I'm VP of Digital Marketing at Columbia Records. I'm Liz Lowry, I run our corporate development efforts at Ingroves Fontana and we're um, an indie music distributor here in the Bay. Hi, I'm Rachel Masters and I am the co-founder and partner at Red Magnet Media, which is a digital marketing agency. Hi, I'm Annika Jong. I am with Bread and we are an ad tech company that helps artists promote themselves and monetize their online presence. What's up? My name is Jay Sider. I'm the CEO and founder of Bandpage and today's moderator. So like I said, marketing digital music is a super buzzy kind of big phrase that we, we want to define a little bit today what that means. And, and simply put, marketing digital music is the way you market your music through an internet connected device. And before we get into all the different ways that you can market yourselves on all these different platforms and devices, I just want to give a quick, you know, to, to bring some context into it. This is simply marketing like we used to do back in the day. So just a quick history lesson, Liz, can you give us just, how, how did you used to market yourself as a musician, get your music out there before the digital age? Well, I started off working at Jive Records in New York um, on the marketing team. And unfortunately, I wasn't working with the ushers of the world or R. Kelly, but I was working with Three Days Grace and Weird Al Yankovic um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and Tool, um, 10,000 Days, which was really exciting. But we were marketing through buying snipes, billboards. I mean, these are all traditional media that, are still being purchased today, buying radio ads, buying ads in weekly newspapers, buying ads in, um, in magazines, you know, creating merch for fans. That was the way that we were marketing to fans. And again, still all mediums that are around today just have changed with the advent of digital. Right, so today as we're talking about marketing, just simply marketing, it's a way of connecting, you know, with people. We didn't have the, the devices and the social networks to do that beforehand. And so we had to do it through billboards, through newspapers, through radio promo. Now we do have that. Just thinking, defining marketing a little bit more closely rather than a way to connect. What in the music business creates value for, for fans? What, what do they get excited about? Let's not mention companies or, or the ways we do that, but what just simply, you know, if I'm a musician and I'm trying to engage with my fans or grow my fan base, what are the, what are the interactions that they, you know, enjoy experiencing? So I think a lot of it has to do with actually giving people something. So you think about a lot of the old ways that we used to do marketing and it's, you know, billboards and radio where you're kind of speaking at people. And now with digital, you can really get in there and, and be with them and connect with them and give them something. And that can be something tangible or intangible, right? Tangible is like a download or exclusive content or, you know, whatever that is. But the intangible can just be like a coolness factor. Like you heard about it first. You got to tweet it first before your other friends saw it. Like getting in on a, uh, a brand like that, I feel like is pretty cool for people. So I think giving people something is important. Uh, it, uh, to me, it all starts, it all starts with the music. I mean, you can, and you've got to 
get your music out there early and first before anybody's really going to react to it. And, you know, building, building this stuff that Annika's talking about around it is really important, but, you know, just in the, in the very, very beginning, it's just, it's gotta be about, you know, a song or, or something. You just have to start with music and it's, you know, all the gimmicks in the world won't get you, get you around that, you know? Um, but it's kind of basic and some people wait and some people are too precious with their music right now. You got to get out there. There's too much competition for for you to hoard your stuff. You know, later on you can be precious, but it starts with the music, and then you can build all kinds of cool stuff. But transactional, a transactional thing is really important. I think the uh, the thing that lots of people though are forgetting in the rush to offer free downloads and post behind the scenes photos and all of that is that you know a real gift that technology has given us is um, social technologies, right? Let, but let's remember that they're social. So I'm not seeing artists really connect with their fans and like respond to people using Twitter or like ask questions and then have a dialogue. Like I think we're going to need to bring ourselves back to that, that we these are social technologies and we're not just we can, we have so much more power than just broadcasting out messages right now. I think, and I think that's the point is that you know we're all just using Facebook or using Twitter or now Instagram and these new things, but we don't know why, and that's really what we're trying to define today. Like, what are those experiences? Actually, um, this is not a you know a panel where we've got all the advice. You guys have a lot of you know great ideas too. So uh, uh, you know I'm gonna pose a bunch of questions to the panel, but I, has it, has anybody else come up with like? when they cre you created an experience that you put out there that um, a fan base just really responded to, whether that's, you know, I think you said postcards, you know, you guys did that Yeah, recently. actually, an artist responded with 100 handwritten letters, and, you know, that's 100 dedicated fans. So doing something tangible like that that are going to get you a really hardcore fan base that are then going to share and talk about those letters and promote you even more. And yes, we're talking about digital music marketing, but this is the thing that create, creates impact and value for your fan base. And so how can we use the tools, you know, through the digital tools to, to enable that? Did you have something, Lars? No. Nope. Okay. Any, anybody in the crowd? Yeah. So using the digital medium to get the word out there to connect in the physical world, right? Yanni. I'm Yanni Puri. I work for Sony Music. I did an interactive streaming experience with uh, Snoop Dogg and Willie Nelson, where it was a track called Roll Me Up and Smoke Me When I Die. <laughs> and it featured a customized uh, SoundCloud player, which in the, was in the shape of a joint. And when you press play, it smoked itself. Oh, I drew traffic there through you know, social media of Snoop and Willie Nelson, and then had uh, <laughs> sharing features in there. I had it shared like 80,000 times back onto social networks in one day. That's so. amazing. That was amazing. So really clever you know, interactions with the artists somewhat edgy it needs to be a little bit different but don't forget you know as we're using these different platforms that there still needs to be you know that that real connection so kind of on that note want to want to move towards the different platforms that we have now you know there's a lot of people talk about a lot of people talk about cool well you got to post to facebook twitter and youtube uh, and you you got to stay present on those but what we've seen recently is that you can't necessarily post to the same the same message to all three networks. It's kind of like if we're thinking about marketing, right? You don't uh, a, a big just a brand a company doesn't 
market the same thing in New York City that they market in Nebraska. It's not the same messaging. They understand it's a, you know, it's a different flavor for those different markets. Think about Twitter, Facebook, YouTube as those different markets. And that's what I wanna to ask to the panel is, you know, what are the differences between those? Like everybody says, yeah, you gotta be on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, but really what do you need to do in, if we're thinking about them as different markets? Right? What what are the differences and and how do you interact with that particular market to to get the the most value out of it? Well, I think for YouTube, it's a face and it's a voice for yourself, so people can actually see you. Whereas on Twitter and Facebook, you know, there, there's just images or just text, so there's a face and a voice to you. Fans can get close to you. They could see you behind the scenes in your apartment. They could see you on your tour bus they can feel like you're a real person rather than just an artist. And I mean, I think you have to look at who your fan base is. You don't always want to be, you don't want to be posting every day. You might not want to be posting every week. You have to really see what works for you and for your fans, what's driving the views, what's driving that engagement. But I think YouTube is, you know, that's how YouTube would be used. So let's keep on YouTube. What else is YouTube specifically used for where it's different from Facebook or Twitter? You make money on YouTube if you have a distribution deal. And That's we were pretty actually awesome. It is awesome. We were actually speaking earlier how YouTube can be, like she was mentioning, behind the scenes footage and, you know, what works for you, but a good idea would be to use that as an inside view for your fans, kind of doing tour diaries, things like that, and finding out the frequency, but just giving them a glimpse inside your life. It's it's like writing them a letter. It's showing them how it is to be on the road and doing things like that actually really make your fans connect with you. Well, also, I mean, basically, it's also a huge driver of listening. Um, people, mm-hmm. kids are making, kids make playlists and they, they listen to their music through YouTube. They just set it up all day. So just being there with your music, again, I'm, I'm sort of really, I sort of go back to fundamentals, like getting your music out in front of people and it, you know, let it, and, and having it be the focus. It doesn't sell itself, but and you have to put stuff around it. But if you're, you know, you've got to have music on YouTube if you want to be heard. And you know, getting into that, it's it's almost like SoundCloud. And I'll get into SoundCloud a little later. But but above, I mean, the, the, there's there's music videos, there's music listening, and then there's sort of the behind the scenes things. And, and YouTube's a locus for all of those things. I mean, basically, with any of these tools, though, you've got to, one of the really fundamental things is, if you're an artist or if you're a manager, you've got to take a look at all of these tools that we're talking about and decide which ones you're most comfortable with. And if you're not comfortable with them, you know, how to deal with that or not to deal with that. I think the point about getting back to the music on YouTube is important. Like, if you look at the top 10 videos on YouTube, frequently most of them are music videos. And it's not necessarily just because people want to see the artist and they love the art behind a music video, although there is something there. A lot of it is just, it's an easy, like, democratized way to listen to music. And a lot of people are still using it that way. Um, You know, as we get more of the SoundClouds and the Spotify's and the Pandora's of the world coming in that provide streaming to people in other ways... Maybe they'll go down those those paths, but it, YouTube is still a big place just to listen, not even just see. If your target market is under the age of 25, you can't ignore YouTube. If your target market is under the age of 25 and male, you have to be on YouTube and working it. And if you make money from your tracks being played on YouTube, Yes, you need to do all these things, but then also think about how can you get your fan base to incorporate your music in their videos. 
So like have a contest of like make a music video to my video or show me what how you're going to prepare of going to my concert, you know, what's going to be in your picnic, not picnic, tailgating kit, you know, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Like make a cocktail with my name and use this track behind it. So anything you can do to like, and then once your fans do that, respond to the videos, like give them your feedback of like, what did you think of that? Like cocktail they made with your name on it. Like, you know, like you try to make a response video of like making that cocktail in your house. So, that like you just need to work the channel as much as possible especially if you're making money there jay i'm sorry i know we're getting off topic i just want to do jump in on that i think this her point about responding is probably one of the most important things you'll take away today so if you've got a pen in your hand like write down you need to interact with your fans you have like these social opportunities when you're on twitter don't just tell them that you're going to be on tour don't just tell them that your new album is out write to that fan with their handle and say, hey, what's up? I'm so glad you downloaded it. I'm so glad to see you at the concert. People love that kind of stuff. And it's the digital version of the postcards. Of the postcard. yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. And that's how you turn you know, a casual fan into a super fan. And, 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 and to really underscore the point on YouTube, turning YouTube into a dialogue is, is something that is really under underexploited I think by artists um, it's something that's pretty simple to do but something that people really don't think of you know thinking of YouTube as a broadcast medium as opposed to a social medium yeah um, it's something that people I mean that, that there's a lot of upside that doesn't get exploited and you know our artists are just as susceptible to that as anybody and, and one last point to, oh, sorry one last point from on YouTube from a company level is gaining a, gaining an exclusive from an artist and being able to post that on your YouTube it just it really is a kind of an amazing way to drive traffic as a company to your YouTube because artists it's so much easier to get people there and YouTube for a company is just as important especially if you're a digital music distributor like you know some of the people up here and similar to your point, Lars, I mean, you can use YouTube to respond as well. There's, you know, your fans are commenting. You can comment as well. You can do contests on YouTube where you can ask your fans to submit UGC videos using your song in the background, claim them and monetize if the publishing is also cleared. And that's a way of engaging with your fans and keeping them, keeping that response dialogue going. Yeah, and for those of you that just came in, this is a no bullshit buzzword panel um, where we're we're not we're kind of breaking down what uh, these buzzword phrases have been, and but what do they actually mean? And so focusing specifically on on marketing and, and how does that how does that affect people? Um, and so for YouTube, I think we've just defined a few points. Like every again, everybody says you've got to use Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, but really, what, when do you use YouTube? And it sounds like that's that's where I, I need to be if I'm just starting as a musician I got to be there because people are going to search for my music there you know more than more than it is creating the relationship and, and commenting back and forth I need to be there I need to have videos up because people are going to search for me and, and find my music then secondly I can make money on YouTube and I think third what it sounds like is you can entertain mm-hmm. on YouTube um, and that's a differentiator you know those three things between YouTube and Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, and again, I, you know, I told, I talked to the panel before we came out. But what we're going to try to do with this panel is give things that you can write down and go try. Out, you know, after this panel. And so, you know, if if there are other things we can be doing better, please tell us. So let's look at look at Twitter. Okay, everybody's. They say you have to be on Twitter, but why the fuck do you have to be on Twitter? You have to be on Twitter because all the know-it-alls are on Twitter. 
And mm-hmm. Twitter is a community. It's an information network, right? So that's where all the extroverts are. That's where all the people who want to be known as idea people and love connecting ideas with other people. And so if you're trying to get someone to spread the word about you, you need to use Twitter. And Rachel, I think you said earlier, Twitter is, is really the place where there are these, there are these quick conversations, um, you know, maybe more so than Facebook, where Facebook is you know, a place where you kind of keep your presence, but Twitter is where you can grow, yeah. grow, grow that relationship quickly. What, what was your study you had? Yeah, so um, I, I read somewhere that someone really smart said that um, <laughs> Twitter is like, you know, like I said, is, is where you go and you get new fans. And Facebook really is your kitchen. It's your community. So once you already have a bunch of fans and you get them to like your page or subscribe to you, um, that's it's a really great place to nurture the people who already like you, right? And like to show them, like keep in contact with them. But it's really, it's very, very hard to grow awareness about your act or your company um, on Facebook. That's really what Twitter does for you. And then once you take discovery. them from Twitter, yeah, discovery goes from Twitter, then drive them to your Facebook page. Um, Melissa? Actually, I was, uh, someone a bit ago said responding is super important. And I firmly believe that on Twitter, if someone retweets you, thank them for doing that. You know, just be like, thanks for the support. Even if you say that a million times, just finding a way to interact because those people are taking, even if it's 10 seconds out of their day to do something to help you. So response is such an important thing. I have actually have a, a little pro tip about Twitter that might be helpful on this point. So a lot of people don't know this. Twitter, it, the way that their algorithm works, if you start a tweet with a handle, right? So that's like the at sign. Um, Twitter sees that as a conversation, like you're speaking to that person. And they won't actually push that tweet out to everyone that follows you unless that fan also follows the person you're mentioning. Is this making sense? Shake your heads, yes, no, yeah, okay. So the, the good thing about that is if you do wanna to respond to everybody that retweets you and says like, you know, thanks for the support, we really appreciate it. If you do 100 of those, those aren't gonna get pushed out to everyone, you're not gonna overwhelm your fans. The downside is if you ever start a tweet with a handle but you're not intending it to be a conversation, then that also won't get pushed out. So, so I don't know if you guys, if you're big Twitter users, you see sometimes people will put a period before they start their tweet, that's what they're doing. So if you want to say, you know, um, you know, so-and-so is going to join us on stage tonight at the concert, if you start your tweet with that, with that band's handle, it won't go out to everybody unless they also follow that band. So make sure that if, if you want it to be pushed to everyone, put that dot before the handle, and if you don't, um, you're fine to, to do as many of those as you want. And is there somewhere online people can read about the, that kind of has those rules listed out, do you know? Um, Twitter has not been really good about publicizing that. Um, Anybody, I, read, I read a tech column and wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. You right, Google mystery dot Twitter, it might come up. <laughs> All right, cool. Twitter music yeah, they guide. Have a, they Google have a pretty it. great resources section. Okay, cool. Yep. And again, you know, we're, we're kind of, again, everybody says you've got to use these big platforms, but it's really just marketing. Back in the day, like we said, you would have paid somebody to do you know, put up billboards or, you know, get, get you in the newspaper, get you on the radio. Now you, you're, you have a bigger channel to, to reach out to people and get in touch with them and you can do it yourself, but you still have to define what these platforms are good for. So, well, also something I want to add, I sort of want to roll it back a little because we're talking really about nuts and bolts and tactical ways to use all these platforms. But the one thing that really has to underlie everything is a content strategy, you know, content release strategy. Like how are you rolling stuff out? 
you know, are you rolling it out all at once? Not a good idea, probably in most cases. But how do you keep people engaged over a period of time, and how do you use your content? Because it, you know, your your art is basically got to be at the center of the thing if you're really going to be successful. And how you roll that art out to people, there's a, a hundred million different ways to do that. But um, keeping them engaged and and having that conversation and having it planned out in advance and using all that, that's really, really important. And then what you do is you graft all of these tools and media onto that plan. But it's really, really important to think about it. If you're going to release an album, if you're going to release um, singles, if you're going to serialize, all of these things are things that you should be taking into account at the beginning. I mean, for me, one of the, one of the most underrated things, it's funny that Taylor Swift just started doing it, serializing, you know, it's something that that has really not been explored. You know, it's hard to make happen in a major label context, um, but it's amazing to me that more indie musicians have not, you know, decided to sort of serialize their music because it's a great way. What do you mean? You want to define that? Releasing things a single at a time, um, because people in right now people have a hard time, <laughs> and people aren't. We're seeing it now, like the the consumption of albums as opposed to the consumption of singles is is definitely. It, you know, the, the, the tail is getting shorter. So and you're telling me I'm not supposed to post every photo that I take backstage or every song that I write and put it up right up on YouTube. I'm supposed to be a little bit more strategic about that. Not necessarily. I mean, photos are photos to me are a little less, are a little lower value for a musician than a, than a, I mean, a song and, and an al songs and albums are your high, highest okay. value things and videos. So be strategically so, about that. Meter. Yeah. Being strategic about that is really important. And then, then from there, you know, you take, you take the, uh, the 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 tools and sort of you know superimpose them on top of what a content strategy is. But if you don't have a content strategy, all of the cool stuff you do in the world, you know, it's gonna it will will not monetize as well as if you do. And I think don't, part of that speech. content strategy should be when you're releasing a single, whether it's to radio or just on a blog, having some visual out there at the same time. If it's you know a lyric video that you're putting up on YouTube, you know, so be it. If it's you know you strumming your guitar in you know your the backseat of your van um there has to be some type of visual on the internet at the same time when you're releasing a single and to touch on content strategy obviously if you can you should invest in having someone help you build that strategy and if you're a baby band and you're just starting you know we were talking earlier about how you can designate certain members of of the band to be the Twitter person, the Facebook person, the Instagram person, etc. But, you know, investing in digital marketing is the most important thing you can do for your band right now. But until you're able to do that with your budget, designating people to cover each base is very important as well. Can, can we say that that is your marketing? Not that investing in this kind of one form, but this, you know, it's kind of moved from these traditional, you know, ways of marketing to Hey, take this shit seriously. Don't just post shit up on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Think, think, you know, very carefully about what's what's on each one. That, that's really what we're trying to define Correct. for these platforms. I'd, li I'd like to give a shout out to Mark Rexon this morning, who said, um, "He said social media is a skill that artists need to outsource or get good at fast." And I, I think that's really important. That it's not just something you dabble in. Like you either need to take it seriously yourself, or frankly, hire someone who does. Although it is also when the the best case scenario we can ever have is when an artist is good at social media and, and is actually Definitely. organically and naturally as digitally native and interacting with, with their fans uh, without us 
having to feed it to them. That but authenticity really speaks to artists. The second best model is for us to feed it to them. <laughs> so, the third best I mean, model is for them to just do what they, you know, do what they do. It's, so, it's very rare to have a Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park who actually creates his own artwork, right? And who's sending you Photoshop files. So, yeah, so I think just to keep keep rolling, so Twitter, you know, as we've defined is, um, is great for the, the quick message to uh, communicate and build your fan base quickly. You know, um, we said we're going to move to Facebook next, but some of the some of the folks here have said Facebook is a great way to kind of keep your presence. But fa uh, but Twitter is a place where it's your marketing channel to um, I think discovery was the word that came out of it, um, and also drive drive quick links. Uh, you can share your pictures and stuff, and you're not going to feel like you're spamming people um, like you might if you if you post you know a YouTube video of every time you you know you do a song or you're backstage or whatever that might get a little spammy. But on Twitter. You can you can do those things and they'll filter themselves out. So let's move to Facebook now. Um, so what what is Facebook good at that the other ones are not so good at? And what what should you focus with on Facebook? Showing images. I think it, it, Facebook is amazing at that. I, I think um, A Burns for Madonna has created one of the most beautiful Facebook pages out there. Um, all of the images are in black and white or like very specific, like, you know, chartreuse colors and, and light. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, I think that people think that since Facebook doesn't have a character limit, that you should just blabber. I think that we're living in an ADD world and it, people can only really handle 140 characters at this point, unfortunately. Um, but you know, that, that's also how you consume Facebook is a lot, most people are about 30% of people are consuming Facebook using mobile. So um, think about how you're hitting them up. So you want to give them a quick message and a visual. Um, another thing about Facebook is that if you are an artist um, and you can ha use Facebook subscribe, right? So you don't have to use a Facebook page. Um, and what subscribe is, is a way to make your personal profile on Facebook public and um, your subscribers who aren't necessarily, can subscribe to you instead of friend you. And then um, you can post updates on Facebook with the globe next to it in the bottom in the right-hand corner, and those um, go public. And then also um, when you post something with Instagram, those, anything that's, any um, application that's part of Facebook's open graph system, like Instagram and Viddy, um, and there's a whole slew of other ones, um, bring your Facebook profile more to life. It's something um, I can go and talk about for a long more time, and I don't want to steal the so, panel away, So, but research Facebook subscribe if you yeah. are a, an artist, is my takeaway. I think the clear difference between those two things, your page is, is the band, and if there are a couple members uh, in the band yeah. that you can have your personal profile, Facebook wants you know, Britney Spears and, and Rihanna have a personal profile to share pictures of their life because that's pretty damn engaging versus constantly, you know, spitting out tour photos or, or songs or, or things like that. So they're, they're testing that out. So you can have now on your personal profile, you can have followers as well as your uh, professional page. Yeah, I believe that Rihanna and, maybe not Rihanna, um, Jessica Alba is doing a really great job with Subscribe, as is um, Snoop Lion. And actually, Wait, under, Jay, his name is Curtis, though. His real name was Curtis, right? So let's use his real name. Good luck. Actually, Jay that. touched on something there where, you know, you don't want to just constantly be spewing out tour dates, buy my tickets, et cetera. 
with Facebook, you also want to make sure that you're mixing in kind of a personal approach and like the inside view with photos or, you know, just a thought or you post an inside video, something like that. So you want to make sure you mix it up and it's not all just buy me, buy me. You know. What about the new timeline? What's, um, how can people use timeline most effectively? I've had some we do this all the. How many how many people here uh, know what edge rank is? How many people here know how it works? <laughs> Liar. Anyway, I, know. I, I I mean it's funny. You know, edge rank. Yanni's is a smart man. Edge rank is. Uh, I taught him everything he knows. Oh. Um, but uh, anyway. Um, um, <laughs> Edge rank is uh, edge rank is is loosely speaking the uh, the likelihood that a post is going to show up um, to most of your users, and it's it's the big it's a buzzword. I'm sorry, Che. That's it's okay. A buzzword. Look it up. But uh, but edge rank is the thing that we're managing to right now. It's it's the the bane of our existence. Um, it's uh, mysterious. It's controlled by Facebook. And um, what's what's interesting. Um, and conspiracy theorists may think what what it's done is it's actually made the it's made the feed in the timeline um, more uh, less effective. Honestly, you so know, that, there's less engagement so on that. on a on a post. And what's interesting is that it's 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 driving uh, driving more um, more advertising for them. Yeah. Right. And the advertise as an advertising medium, Facebook has become more more efficient. The timeline has become less efficient. And that's something we're all going to have to deal with. And it's not particularly welcome <laughs> to be, for, yeah. for users. So. To be clear on that, so if you have a 1,000 people following you, you on your page or that, that have liked you on your page um, and you send out a post, it won't necessarily hit a 1,000 people. On average, it hits about 16%. Of, of the folks on your page, but you can do thing. you can, if you're posting good content and people are liking the things when you post and they're resharing them, then your edge rank goes up and that 16% goes to 20 and 25. I've seen bands get it all the way up to about 90%, um, but, but that's, you know, that's a lot of work and dedication. And so what you can do to offset, um, you know, sending out, instead of just hitting 16%, you can buy ads. Um, that will send it out to the remainder of the of the folks that are so that's that's how it works right now um, You know on Facebook with timeline but it's ed edge rank if you don't know what it is and you're in actively engaged in social Just Google edge rank and and try and sort it out because it's uh, it's uh, Quite the moving target so so just kind of keep things going and to recap we are specifically looking at marketing how connecting with with people happened uh, kind of back in the day um, promoting uh, promoting your yourself as a musician, getting your music out there. And now where we used to use billboards and newspapers and radio to get it out, we now have Twitter, Facebook, you know, Instagram, and there are these different channels that we can market with these folks. Don't just use them. Don't just use them. Understand how to use them. That's what we're defining. So the next question to the panel is, cool, those are the three main ones. What are, what are the other ones, channels out there that are interesting, that are popping up, that are actually creating value? Um, it's not just a tool that everybody's using. Um, and, and how do you use this, this tool? Uh, we use SoundCloud. Um, all of our labels create playlists on SoundCloud. They put their new albums up on SoundCloud. And then they have to promote them. Um, we promote them as well, but they're putting them on their websites. Um, they are putting them on their band pages. Um, we're pushing them out to blogs. And the way that we're able to um, 
find value in that is we're able to see which blogs are actually uh, actually streaming the links that we're sending out to them. So we may send out uh, a post of a new song or a new single out to 100 blogs, and we can see from there who is actually streaming, whether it's um, you know a hip hop blog that's that's streaming it in New York, and then we can target um, our marketing based on that. But that's a, a big tool for us. So great for distribution to distribution. to get get tracks out there and then understand where they're being streamed. Also, it's also incredibly shareable, and that's just so key. And it, it because it embeds everywhere. It's just it's sort of a utility that you can use in so many different places, and that's you know, and the metric and the and the metrics are amazing. Like. All, both of those things. Yeah, I, I would like to echo what Steve Rennie said on a panel this morning, which is that you know the SoundClouds and the BitTorrents of the world are really, really great for um, um, for distribution, but not really so great for like promotion, right? So you you can put it up on SoundCloud, but you still need to get it out there. You need to get it yeah. onto the blogs. They're going to provide you with the backend data so that you can make better decisions about how to move forward. But they're not, you know, something like a SoundCloud is not a marketing platform in and of itself. So, so you can't it, just it, put yourself on a yeah. SoundCloud and expect to. But one be of done. the yeah, and the, but the key thing is that now blogs blogs are used to it. You know, yes. if you send them a SoundCloud link, they know what to do with it, and you're not sending them some stream off of your server and you know, it's kind of a kind of a lingua franca of, of the. It allows you to play well within yeah. that ecosystem. So as we talked about Twitter kind of being a great place for discovery, um, that that's where you'd send a put a put a SoundCloud player so so people can reach retweet that and and kind of get that going to to kind of piggyback off what you're saying. Totally. Well, it's and you know and it goes into blogs and Tumblr and all those things. You have to push it out. I mean that's that is the key right. thing. Um, to get to another tool yeah. that I, re I really like, a tool called WebDoc. Um, WebDoc helps you create uh, apps and widgets online for uh, basically online apps and widgets. Um, it's very simple interface. Um, there's a lot of drag and drop to it. You can you know drop your graphics in and create uh, contesting and and uh, photo upload things, photo upload contests yeah. and things like that. And you know, those guys have done a really good job of sort of modularizing and making things very simple, what we used to have to hire a developer to do, you know, so. Stefan. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, off of the web doc things, I've been doing a lot of graphic sure. design for them, so we just did, I don't think Vincent's here, but he's somewhere here in the building. But I've been doing a lot of design for WebDoc, and we've been doing stuff for like Jeff the Brotherhood, and the ability to like get fan participation by saying, "Hey, if you want to be on this album with this leopard face all over your face, like click reply, and suddenly yeah. you're you're part of the experience." And doing stuff with all these like major people, like fans want to get involved. So how can they get involved? Well, they can get involved by like suddenly their face is on the album. Suddenly their face is like Weezer with their eyes crossed out and right. stuff. So and that is a great engagement. It's a great tool for building engagement tools like that or engagement and promotional things. The one thing, the one limitation, and again, you know, every tool has its place. If you don't have music out there, that's great. <laughs> that people, that it's great. You know, WebDoc, web, we've done things, we've started, we've led with some WebDoc stuff, and, you know, you really have to, you really have to have the music out there. But it is, it's a really good tool. I really like it, you know, and we've, we've put it to a lot of great use lately. So, and that's one that just about anybody can use. You know? So just, sorry, to that point, to that point, so we've identified what's, what's a good tool to get content in different places and to market it out to these different channels. Is there a tool that helps to, helps for discovery? 
So I actually was just about to say a tool that I like for fan acquisition is Top Spin, and I'm sure we've all heard that name. But it's great for you know getting emails and getting people to retweet your your information, stuff like that. Top Spin is a great one. And additionally, you can also do contesting and merchandise packages, so you can increase your revenue. So Top Spin has a lot of different you know value points. You know, we talk a lot about social media, but um, there's still a lot of people using email. Y'all are checking it every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, you know, obviously there's a lot of platforms out there. I like FanBridge a lot. They're doing some good stuff for artists and then also really um, starting to help to build out for artists that have a big YouTube presence but maybe don't have a web presence, helping them to kind of connect that back to their email strategy. Um, FanBridge is pretty good. Um, So... Instagram had more daily active users than Twitter in the month of August. I don't think that that's a blip. I think that this is just the beginning of Instagram um, because most of the traffic is being driven by kids under the age of 18 and all of their parents haven't jumped on yet. So if you're not taking Instagram as seriously as you're taking Facebook and Twitter, you might want to reconsider that. a tool that my team absolutely loves um, is Crowd Booster for analyzing. Crowd Booster. Crowd Booster, yeah, for analyzing exactly how you're doing on Facebook and Twitter. Um, it, it basically you, you it's analytics for Twitter and Facebook, and so it tells you when a new influential user on Twitter um, has followed you, so that you can follow them back and thank them. It tells you who has retweeted you the most on Friday, so you can um, publish a follow Friday thank you as well. Um, it tells you what times you should message your tweets, post your tweets at, so that, and also it has a publishing application within it as well for Facebook and, um, and Twitter. So it's just a really, it has a beautiful graphics, which always help, um, demystify how you're doing. And uh, on that topic about time of day, if you don't use a crowd booster, some general rules of thumb, Twitter tends to be pretty good around the middle of the day, like lunchtime, people are looking for a quick hit, quick hit of information, a quotable, um, Facebook does pretty well in the afternoons, you know, you're getting to a lull in your work day, maybe you're looking for distraction. Um, and then something like Tumblr tends to do really well in the evenings, like 7 to 10 p.m., um, when maybe people are more open to consuming richer content. And one of the things about, about especially Instagram and Tumblr, that we're, all the research, luckily we get research at a major label. Um, <laughs> the research is pointing to a sort of increasingly post-literate um, social um, landscape where kids are really responding to images as much as they are to text or more more so than to text and it's gotten to a point where you know you pretty much every time you post something you know you should probably have some sort of relevant imagery going there a a picture's worth a thousand tweets Mm -hmm. so i sorry i was actually going to say we didn't actually touch on instagram when we were talking about social networks to use and so i'm glad that that was brought up and a clever I've seen some clever usage of Instagram from a band called Dr. Dog every city that they went to they were taking photos of monuments whether they were in New York or Philly and that's kind of how they were letting their fans know they were in that town for the night instead of just you know again posting a ticket link yeah exactly so um, so great so we kind of started at the beginning of what marketing is Uh, What makes the connection with people in general? Um, How we've done that traditionally. Now we have this new digital era um, where where we have these different networks that we can can get things out to. And I think the main point is 
don't just use these networks, actually use them um, and understand how to use them um, correctly. So the next piece of that equation, right, is uh, the return, uh, return on investment. So um, what, have, what have you seen on these across these different platforms and, you know, going into mobile as well, um, how, where, ha where have the transactions been? Um, you know, not only with music, but with, with merch and, and just making money from, you know, inline purchases in, you know, the Facebook timeline to your website, to iTunes, to uh, working with brands to make money in exchange for your music. I'd love to hear some examples. I think when we're talking about um, digitally marketing music, we think a lot about the music is the end game, is selling the music. And I think we're increasingly moving away from a model where that's really where the money is coming in. And we might be moving more towards, you know, the music itself is not going to be the money maker, but, you know, building a brand and traffic and an audience around the music, there are other ways to monetize that. So I think we're going to start seeing more, um, more models that get your fans and audiences comfortable with paying for content, maybe not with dollars, but with eyeballs. It used to be that, you know, I give you 15 bucks and you give me an album and that was how that transaction went down. Maybe now I get to stream your album for free or I get a free download or I get to watch a video for free, but there's some kind of advertising or some other way that that's getting monetized. So I think we're moving more that direction. How about um, in-stream in purchases? There have been kind of that. Um, th that's happened a, a couple of times. People have tried to do that. Have Has anybody have had any success with that? It's not a... Um being, that's a, it's a lot a more transaction inside yeah, Facebook, it's, or Twitter, I mean, it's, or YouTube. It's, it's a lot more granular than. I mean, it's not. It's not something that's uh, in and of itself moving the needle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, we want to. You, you want to. You want to catch people. You know, when they're motivated as much as possible, and so you know, we'll run. We'll. I mean, in stream audio um, reacts pretty well on streaming networks like Spotify. They get pretty good. You get pretty good like clicks and response on the mm -hmm. audio ads um, mm -hmm. that you put through Spotify. Um, in stream, you know, usually it's usually there's pre rolls and overlays that are that are they, they do pretty well, but um, in stream purchase is not is not something specifically in and of itself okay. that's a you know. So where, where have we made money? Where on, on the panel? Well, I where, think where, well, what, what well, places we're still, are we make, we're still money? mostly making our money from iTunes, right? Mm -hmm. So for the traditional artists, um, but we're getting to the day really fast, a lot faster than we all expected. That like Spotify is creeping up in the the statement right um and so our other streaming services so i'm really curious to see how like all of our jobs really change as instead of getting people to download something how what we do changes when we're encouraging streams being listened to so like and in one of the other panels um theta sanifer was talking about creating playlists that you curate right so that's going to be really interesting to see what else we can do to encourage streams haven't, I haven't really thought about that yet, and it's something I think I'll be spending a lot of time on. Um, the other thing is because we are headed into the day of um, less music being sold, and we've all been talking about this for a really long time, but the present is, hello, here, um, selling memorabilia, selling merch, selling unique experiences, both digital and physical. So companies like StageIt are becoming more interesting than they were maybe 18 months ago um, because it's actually working um, and we're seeing that happening. Um, there's a lot of interesting plays in selling merchandise and part of the money goes to celebrities and part of it go to charity. Um, that's really interesting. What happens when people start selling tweets or fake Facebook posts? 
Um, Bread? Ebooks to me are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that you you made a comment earlier that, you know, YouTube's really the only place you guys are making money. And I think that's right. There haven't been a lot of good monetization models out there for other social channels. Um, My company's working on it pretty hard, but I think we're going to start to need more folks in that space because um, there there just aren't a lot of good models right now. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Brad, um, you know, because I think what they're doing is is creating that new revenue model. So when you share it, when you post a tweet um, or, you know, something on Facebook, um, when somebody clicks on that, usually they just go straight to the, you know, the thing that they're going to look at, whether it's a video or a website. But in between that, so when they click on a tweet, they're brought to a five-second, you know, overlay that that just shows them, you know, either something about yourself, like, hey, I've got shows in this town, see it, or, you know, it's an ad for Ben and Jerry's and delicious ice cream, and you, you know, through that click, you just made you know, a couple cents. And if, you, if you're if you a bigger artist, you've got a, a couple hundred thousand clicks on that, you're making some real money just off of your brand as an artist. But I think what's important there is, you know, we're talking about getting paid to tweet things. Like, as soon as you start selling that kind of, you know, so you're getting paid to post something to Facebook or Twitter, the authenticity is lost and it doesn't really resonate with fans. It doesn't work for anyone, right? The mm-hmm. audience sees right through it. The artist feels kind of weird and it's not great for the advertiser if, if those two parties aren't happy. Um, so we've been really focused on how do you come up with solutions that um, allow the artist to continue to share the content they would have shared otherwise, not have to cannibalize their art and their message in order to, you know, make a living. So Annika mentioned something about eyeballs, you know, instead of listening and how we might make more money using our eyeballs these days. And that's actually why SF Music Tech has kind of brought in a video component with the San Francisco session screening this evening. It's the first time ever that they've brought in kind of video. And that's kind of because, you know, you can get more money with brand sponsorships, product placement, things like that. And it's, you know, it's got to be done in a very artistic, creative way, a very classy way that the artist is comfortable with. But I do believe that that is going to end up being the way because it's so easy to get music for free nowadays that, you know, video and streaming and the, what, what Bread is doing is a really important next step. I want to go back to digital retail um, and specifically like the subscription services. We're seeing some analysis that shows that um, the long tail is really what's um, being played on subscription services, which is really fantastic for independent artists that your music is being heard um, on these services. And I'd really like to see if these subscription services could start um, monetizing more from directly from their platform. So like a Spotify, you know, people are listening to a ton of music on there. You can listen to an album over and over and over again. You're really developing a relationship, or I'm definitely developing a relationship with that artist. Maybe I didn't purchase the album from iTunes, but now that I've listened to that artist so many times, if Spotify were to hit me about purchasing merch right then and there, or purchasing a ticket right then and there, I think you would, you know, you generate more revenue. So I'd love to see some of these services start adding in more of these businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I th- that would be really interesting. And, and you know, we want to sort of, to, to get into the very concrete also, another kind of news you can use thing. One, one thing that we definitely know is that if you have a unified storefront, you'll sell more of everything. Um, a lot of artists define, define what that, that means. If your merch is in one place, your music's in another place, your tickets in another place, um, and whether or not all those rights are combined, which is you know one of the grand, probably the biggest issue you know in the music, broadly speaking, not the recorded music, but the music industry at large, 
we've definitely found that um, when we are able to combine those things in one place, they, there's a virtuous cycle that, that basically drives more revenue for everything. And it's amazing. It's, it's actually stunning how often those things are not all in one place. Yeah. So I think I think the main point here is, you know, everybody talks about these these different places you should be online and Pinterest pops up and Instagram, you know, sells for a billion dollars and there's there's all these places you should be, you know, using. But I think the main point of this is they're just mark they are marketing channels. You you don't have to be on them unless you know how to specifically use those things and that's really what we're, you know, again trying to define today is is marketing and how how you're connecting with with different folks. Um, so one, one quick question, um, you know, there on, across these platforms, there have been artists that, you know, that, that have blown up, um, and even those that have blown up once haven't been able to do it twice, just like a good song, you know, there, there's somebody that writes a great song and for whatever reason, they just can't write another, you know, big hit. Um, what there's do you, not going to be like Gangnam Style too. I mean, is that what you're saying? I, I'm excited, you know, I got my dance down. So, um, but, but yeah, I'm curious, you know, um, and, and we can open this up too, but, um, we don't, obviously we don't know what that recipe is, you know, to create this type of video on YouTube or this type of, you know, message on Twitter or Facebook, but what are some hints? What are things that have, that have done well, um, that we could try out, like just putting ideas out there for people to try as after they leave the panel. I have an idea. Um, actually, there's an artist, Nikki Bloom and the Gramblers, who did a cover song. They're doing this thing called the Van Sessions. And while they're riding from point A to point B on tour, they're covering songs. And they did Hall and Oates, I Can't Go For That. Uh, it's gotten over, you know, I think a million, two million hits in, in a week something like that and now Nikki Bloom is the new face of the Gap Icons redefined ad as you drive down 80 you see her on a billboard and she was discovered through that YouTube video because Holland Notes then retweeted it and now they did a Paula Abdul one and Ryan Seacrest had them on his show and so cover songs get you kind of in the search of the other artists and then you never know who's going to find you obviously Holland Notes were searching for themselves and found this video and retweeted it etc that's so, a that's a great strategy uh band pomplamoose which is one of the best known bands on youtube that's exactly what they do uh is immediately after a hit song comes out they immediately do a cover and so they're the second thing so if gum num style has you know 300 million views um each each person that searched for that sees them as the second style they haven't done the the remake of that song but i think they should but but I think that's that's another strategy to try. No, we, we proposed that to Jack White, but he didn't want to do that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Pomplamous, I, I believe, is no, no, playing at the after party tonight. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what? Really? Yeah, Pomplamous will be yeah. here. What? Um, I, I think I'm going to just get back to something that Lars said really early, which is like it all comes back to the music, right? So ultimately, you're not going to be able to game the system and go viral um, if you're if that's just your whole plan. Like It has to be good content at the core. So I think you get someone like OK Go, who has had a number of big kind of like viral hits mostly because their shit's good right like you want to watch that video <laughs> um, so I, I think ultimately it does have to come back to that the content has to be good Vi virality is almost to me it's almost an A&R thing more than almost more than a marketing thing and it's like the it's almost always going to come from an, an artist collaboration it, at least the art either the artists themselves are a collaboration with some other artist who really understands the medium and that's another transition that I think we're all making is 
going from, you know, we make big budget music videos, although not as big budget as we used to. Um, you know, we make beautiful pieces of art, music videos for, for our artists. And there's not always, I don't, I think that it's an underdeveloped, the, the art of actually going viral is still in its infancy. Um, I don't think anybody's really figured it out, but usually it's, but we figured out the songs. So the songs, the songs don't, the songs don't always drive it. It's the I'm emotional kidding. content. Yeah, that's yeah. So, but it's the it's the it's that emotional or it's either comedic or emotional impact that usually yeah. drives something viral. And um, on the production end, that doesn't always that's not always the priority for the artist either. Mm -hmm. so. so I think that's that is the point, which is, you know, don't don't just think if you get on one of these platforms that it oh maybe I'll just be that be that guy there's there's a lot of you know planning and thinking that goes into some of these things um that that gets you there and for those that have hit it usually it's one time yeah well, I, and I then we'll go to questions after you i recently had an experience um with duran duran we did a music video called girl panic over the summer um and the video we got no radio support for the song whatsoever um but the video was really amazing it had um all the top supermodels from the 1980s playing the members of the band so it was like cindy crawford and um eva herzegova naomi campbell and um we got access to behind the scenes photos of naomi campbell and little video clips from the from the video as well um and we seeded it with a lot of beauty, um, fashion, and model bloggers, and um, like let them write blog posts around it. And they went to town and really like were so genuinely like excited for this content. And then when we measured the tweet impressions um, for their tweets, compare mentioning Girl Panic compared to Harper's Bazaar and Dolce Gambana and Sorvosky, which were all sponsors um, for the video, our bloggers ended up being neck for neck um, with Cindy Crawford's tweet and then out beating out the traditional media um, tweets. And so that really showed us the power of the bloggers. And we really strongly believe that that like sort of grassroots marketing tied in with the traditional marketing of traditional media marketing within Harper's and the video premiere placement at Vivo really helped this like band get 10 million video views, which was pretty incredible for no radio support whatsoever. Yeah, cool. So let's go to questions. I think you, well, hang on, we need a mic on you. Sorry. I think BAM TV is bringing this to us, is that right? Thank you, guys. I came in a little bit late, so forgive me if you already covered this, but Pinterest, you mentioned it for a yeah. second. Yeah. But in terms of the marketing opportunities and what you're actually seeing. I can I can speak a little bit to Pinterest. It, we did a, um, I, I do uh, the digital marketing for the music from Glee, and we did a um, an album premiere last spring using Pinterest, and we rolled it out uh, over the course of a day. And we we started with a very low barrier, about 25 likes to get the next track. So what we would do is we'd put up an image. It was a puzzle piece, actually. We did a puzzle that had an image of the whole cast. We put it up one at a time. Um, you would click on the image, you would get the stream of the song. So we rolled it out across the course of a day. And we started with our, with our, we started with 25 likes to release the next song, which was kind of ridiculous. About, you know, 25 seconds later, we had it. By the end of the fifth hour, we were getting 1,400 likes in about a minute um, for this thing. And it, it got us some attention. It was very popular with the fans. I think it was the biggest win was with 
the the Gleeks, you know, the fan base who want to do it. The thing with Pinterest is it's very hard to measure anything that's going on in Pinterest. What's the demographic you'd say there? It's oh, we we were going after we were going after women and we were going after teenagers, you know, but f- primarily female uh, demographic, which is what it is. I mean, it's really driven by fashion and home design and things like that. But we felt it was successful, but we didn't have any great metrics to back it up. Um, it's hard to argue that people aren't, I mean, people are on Pinterest, um, but it's very, it's, it's not like Facebook and Twitter where you have as many, you know, really kind of accurate and, and actionable. Lars, have y'all ever used Pinnerly? Yes. And it didn't tell me what didn't, Didn't, didn't at the time, actually, again, this was, this was last spring that we did this. Um, and it was not, it just wasn't telling us what we wanted to, what we wanted to know. I think our gut was that we got a pretty good, a pretty good, um, um, exposure from it, and and the, the fans loved it. I mean, they, they they really did go crazy. Cool. So two more. We got two questions. One here and so, one here. All right. It's a pretty quick one. Back to news you can use. You said that having a central point where fans can get everything from your merch to your tickets to your music is good. So what's the be- best platform for an artist to use? Is it is it WordPress? Is it Tumblr? What's best? Because you could you could get modules from the other from the other things to put in there. And well, so I would, I would, no, go, go, sorry, sorry. I would just say absolutely your website, you know, whether you use WordPress for that or whatever, everyone should be driven back there at some point because that's, you control everything there. You can have all the data you want there. So. De- definitely yes. WordPress just yeah. because they're open source. They give you so much more flexibility. Um, you can really build anything you want. Okay. And uh, last question. Okay. Um, I'm an associated label inside the Groove system. Um, we do all these things on the digital side to market what we do, but what do I do or what's the template to to have the back end engage? You know, with all this information that I have, how do I transcend that message to you to get you to, to help me and my artists? Because I got a, a great catalog that's there that's doing pretty well, but I want it to do even better. But how do you become tangible to me so I can give that information to you mm-hmm. so we can do a lot more of it? Well, we have label managers inside the Ingress Fontana system, and they are super knowledgeable about you know all of these marketing mediums, social platforms. So, they're <coughs> excuse me your first point in, in terms of communicating everything that you're doing on the label side socially, to then communicate that to the digital sales and retail side, for us to feed out to the retailers to to translate into sales to get your content merchandise, if that's what you mean in terms of Generating revenue, man. Dave, Dave, and those guys are really great. They train as quickly as I ask them questions, they give me the answers. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just ready for that next level. I mean, I have a lot of great labels that are in the system mm-hmm. that have marketing dollars where we could outsource. Like, I want to get everybody's number up here and exchange cards. But whatever I have to do to transcend that information to you for us to monetize what we're trying to do and get to the next level, that's what I need to do. Yeah, so absolutely. I'll hit Dave, and then if I could hit you too and transcend that information. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. So me. I would say, I mean, hitting Dave is, is great, but hitting the label manager, that's right. the best point of contact inside the Ingrus Fontana system. Okay, everybody got that email, right? Okay, <laughs> okay on that, we got we to gotta wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you, Brian, just for putting this on, and uh, we'll see you around. Thanks, Jay.